And hello again. As I said last week, if you listened, this is the second of two episodes that we recorded quite a while ago that are just now coming out. For instance, one thing that'll be perfectly clear is that this was recorded the night of the Oscars, so before the event happened, which will be painfully clear about halfway through one of the discussions. In this episode, we just discuss um, Star is Born, Bohemian Rhapsody, Vice, and a bunch of other films. Uh, It's a really cobbled together episode, but I hope you enjoy. Welcome to a very sleepy edition of the Real Opinions podcast. It's um, been about a month, I'd say, since we last recorded, probably. Yeah, probably. What, Harrison is bringing somehow even less energy than me, which is remarkable. We're doing like, it's like the uh, Manchester by the Sea of podcasts, where everyone's just very <laughs> muted. <laughs> about halfway through, I'm going to start playing some classical music while I remember how my children... Is that a spoiler? I, I, it is. <laughs> so, it is, but so many people... face, which means that I probably did a too dark joke then. <laughs> it is a spoiler, but it is a spoiler that I've seen, like, loads of people compare things to Manchester by the Sea. I forgot you hadn't even seen it. I just it's assumed game, that yeah. you didn't care. I don't, and I knew about it anyway, because it's like a sixth sense thing. Anyone who has any intention of seeing it has already seen it, and then I thought you meant like knows. you had a sense for when people were... I did. Yeah, yeah. Um, this is going to be a uh, sleepy one. Uh, so, what have you seen since we last talked? <laughs> Had I seen Glass? No. Well, I saw Glass. Right, next one. I saw. I saw Hashtag Dragon Three. Oh, I was joking when I said next one. You okay. can, te- you can just talk listen, about We'll Glass. just we'll just make the whole podcast a list of films. I just watched The Star Is Born. I watched it just before oh. recording, and oh, that's nice. a film we have okay. both seen. <laughs> I've seen it twice now. I liked it quite a lot. Of all the ones I've seen, it was probably my favourite. I've only seen a handful of the best film nominees this year because this year is a particularly pitiful bunch, I think. You preferred it to Black Klansman? I think so. I was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. I didn't have the same... When I left La La Land, I had like this proper feeling of where did that come from? And I really did not expect to love it as much as I did. Mm. And for context, Harrison does not like musicals typically. That's slowly changing, I think. But um, with A Star Is Born, I think it was more an admiration at the end where I was like, well done. Well done. Whereas with La La Land, I was more like, I guess... Sort of almost swept away. Swept away with it, yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, I have to admit, I've, so I watched it the first time, and I was actually, for some reason, I was really quite hopeful for it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I just it was, the, I think it was just marketed quite well, and then I, I kind of saw it, and I was a tiny bit disappointed when I saw it the first time. I, I remember you say, I can't remember if it was mentioned in a podcast or if you did a separate review, but I remember you talking about how you thought it was fine. Yeah, I think that might have just been us talking about it. I had a few problems with the plot. I still have this issue, but it's less so now. But they, I, I do find it's a pretty generic plot. I, like, I was never wondering what's going to happen next because I felt like I already knew what was going to be happening. I guess it's, it's, it's beholden to four previous films. Well, it, it has changed quite a lot in a lot of senses. And I can kind of get where it's going for. The bit that I really found interesting the first time watching and I wish that they played more into was the idea that they talk about how like every single song is the same 12 notes. It's just how you arrange it mm. and how you play it differently. And obviously that's a very clear correlation to... Making the same film. <laughs> remaking the same film over and over again. It's just how you decide to tell the story. And for this one, they decided to focus more on like just taking fame and putting in a modern aspect. 
as well as taking both the central stars in the film and rewriting their own fame into the actual story itself. At the first time I watched it, I kind of wished that there was more of that. And at the same time, I felt like I was more involved in the plot as opposed to just involved in the characters Mm-hmm. Then the second time watching it, because I didn't have that, I wasn't going in for a good plot, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I enjoyed it a lot more. I really enjoyed the like the relationship even more, and the songs just keep growing on me. Yeah, I was um, surprised by how much I liked the songs, because La La Land are very much the exception in terms of how much I enjoy the music, whereas usually that's what I don't like about musicals, is that I tend to be a, at best ambivalent towards the music in them. But I, I did yeah. enjoy most of the songs in this. Most of them. Um, yeah. There were a couple that I kind of forgotten, but I guess I've only seen it once. So there's, as you said, there's room to grow on me a little. Um, I'd probably say at the bottom, I would say, is the song that she does in the SNL section. Well, yeah, but that's that's sort of the John Legend song of that film. Exactly. You say that, but people like so that's some people's favorite songs. With La La Land, we had that confusion where we weren't sure if we were supposed to like it or not. Mm. And we were. <laughs> we came to the conclusion that we were supposed to enjoy it, but think it was shallow. Yeah. I felt much, much more with the, the song in, um, in A Star Is Born that I was supposed to dislike it. Because it didn't even play it as a full song properly. It, it sort of played it and then he walked off and we were having a scene with him while she kind Mm. of sang her generic nonsense in the background. I would agree that it's a lot more... I think it worked better in this one, even though the song is, I'd say, worse than the song in La La Land. I'd say the the thing that struck me with the song in La La Land is that it was, like you said, it was the whole song, and it it wasn't the fact that it was outwardly bad. It was just kind of a step below everything else in the film. Mm -hmm. And then also, like you said, like later on in the film here in Star Is Born... He addresses what he thinks of the song. Like, he actually addresses that song. As well as, I also found it really interesting because, again, I kind of talked about how the fame, the character, like, the actor's own fame has factored into the film. And the original songs, when she goes onto the SNL section, it sounds a lot like Lady Gaga's first songs. Mm -hmm. And I kind of took that away as, like, a part of a how she kind of viewed her thing. own identity. Yeah, exactly, like her own identity being stripped away by having to sell records because it sounds a lot like her first album, that mm-hmm. that kind of song. I mean, she literally had a song called uh, Disco Stick, which is, I mean, that's a very clear metaphor to something. <laughs> I don't know how I have this in my memory. Let's have some fun. This beat is sick. I want to take a ride on your disco stick. Is Lady Gaga your pit bull? I don't know why I have a perfect, like, recollation <laughs> yeah. of that song but you know it's it's a I've, i thought that was kind of interesting like how it parallels like exactly yeah. and that's why i preferred the bad song in quotes in this film to the bad song in la la land i think generally i i i, I felt a little bit like how how we did with la la land where i felt like my interest waned slightly towards the end as it became yeah. less about the music but because this <sighs> This was less of an overt musical. It didn't feel quite as weird. This was more a, a drama about musicians. Yeah, so it didn't feel exactly. quite as yeah. a strange omission or missed opportunity and felt like where the story was inevitably going. But yeah, it was everything about it was good. Mm. Good acting, good directing, looked nice. 
It was all. It was yeah, all it good. Did look really nice. All, all, yeah. all good. I think strangely, the um, the song that I've actually kind of find myself coming back to like this week, La Vie on Rose, uh-huh. the original performance, just because I find it like it's. It, I think it's a really good case of again, kind of similar to the La La Land, where it, the presentation really emphasizes everything about it, and I don't know. It's a very. It's a great way of introducing the character, and it's uh, while at the same time instantly kind of showing like a connection i don't know i just found it really again like that wasn't the song that i went back to the first time i watched it the first time i watched it i really liked shallow yeah and that's because that's basically the single of the film yeah and also the first time i watched it i didn't really like the last song i barely remember it i remember being kind of slightly moved by it but not because of the song just because of the context of what had happened and, and and because of the the emotional heft of the ending, but nothing particularly to do with the song. But I, I vaguely yeah. remember it being kind of generic. Yeah, and I kind of feel the same way here, but I preferred it more the second time again because I was going into it less caring about how the plot of the film and more going into enjoying the characters again mm-hmm. and looking forward to some of the songs. And when it came back to that last, when it came to that last song, uh, I, th- I, I liked it as a resolution to everything and I enjoyed it a lot more the second time, even though. Like, I, I haven't gone back and re-listened to it because I don't think it'd be as effective mm-hmm. if it wasn't at the end of that song. And also, for the single, they don't... I don't know if it's a sport. They don't cut back. Yeah, right, they okay. don't cut back, which is the most... That was the best part of it. Like, it's the... It's the was... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> was... it is, it's the best part. It actually makes it moving. Yeah, that, that was the <laughs> for that me. was the emotional whammy of that song. Yeah, I'm, gl- I'm, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I think it was... Um, it's one of these things where I think in another year, I don't... I think it'd be... For me, it'd be like a strong second or a uh-huh. third. But I, yeah, I don't know. Actually, to be honest, I don't really know where I feel this year. Um, I still have not seen The Favourite. That is... Uh, I'm I watching that at some point this um, week. I'll tell you what I did see. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody. I saw Bohemian Rhapsody as well. Did you like... Oh, did, you, did you? How is this... Is, how is this, this, this never the sleepy podcast? Before. How is this the one where we somehow managed to sync up perfectly when we haven't planned anything? Right. What did you think of Bohemian Rhapsody? I, I know a lot of people hate, hate it, and I think there's some people who've exaggerated their dislike of it because it's become like a... Because it's they see it as stealing awards, having got this place that it hasn't earned. I didn't hate it, but... I would be quite annoyed if it won things because it was... I don't think it was a good film. Um, I think it was a good central performance and I like Queen's music, but just having Queen's music, that's not like a crutch that I think a film can rely on. It was fine. This is going to be such a quick episode. It was fine. I agree with you completely again. <laughs> like, I completely agree with you on that. If it was about any other subject, yeah. it would not be a good film. That's the thing. People like Queen. It's winning material. It's just absolutely winning material because you've got classic, so many classic songs. Mm-hmm. Like, it was a case of while I were watching it, I kept thinking, like, okay, they've kind of gone through all of them and they kept bringing out other ones that I'd kind of forgotten. Like, obviously knew them because they were classic songs, but I mean, like, you, like they don't come straight to your mind when you think of Queen. Yeah. And they kept bringing out track after track after track, as well as the central story is such a movie story. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the kind of thing where you'd have to do it really, really badly to make, yeah, like, a and flop. I don't, and I don't think that they did it as badly as some people. Like, I don't know if you've seen, it might be because I, like, have all these journalists on Twitter who despise it. Yeah. And, like, talk about it like it's the worst film to ever be nominated for an Oscar and it's, like, shameful and a disgrace. And I don't I don't think it should be there. I do not think it belongs no. there. And I think I can name 
better films that I have seen from the Oscar race, like uh, First Reformed, that it should definitely be in its place. But I don't hate it. I, I don't really feel much about it at all. It just felt like going through the wiki of queens it was all so quick yeah it was also yeah. like surface level and every scene lasted 20 seconds it was just hi i want to join queen okay great i have an idea for a song <laughs> called bohemian rhapsody yeah. no one's gonna like that i've recorded it now oh it's good right yeah everything was so rushed and then it was structurally it was so bizarre because everything is played in these like 20 second scenes that feel like you're watching a, a previously on so it all feels like rushed <laughs> and then at the end it's saddled yeah. with a concentrated performance that is just like what why just just there's two ways that you could do the film you could either do the film about queen or you could do it about freddie mercury mm -hmm. and they decided they wanted to do both and so they ended up with a lackluster version of both yeah. which is very long and at the same time feels very short in everything it does. Yeah. When we saw in the trailers, there's these like little snippets of them actually producing the song, like them singing Galileo in the booth or them swinging the speaker while recording it. And that's the stuff that, as a dorky person, <laughs> someone that's actually interested in recording techniques and stuff like that, I actually find that really fascinating. And that idea, and they, like, I'm not saying they completely gloss over that, but it's, it feels just as quick as it is in the trailer. I, don't, I feel mm -hmm. like I didn't get anything else about how quirky their production techniques were <laughs> besides yeah. how it was in the trailer. And that's what I kind of wanted more of. And there was another trailer where they said, I want a song where people can stamp and clap along. Oh, so they're going to get more into that. Nope, that's just it. Uh, there's like four songs where they actually go into the inception of it. And it's literally, it's the same scene. It's someone in a studio goes, I have an idea. And then they play the central bit of that idea, like the stamp, stamp, clap, or the another one bites the dust. It's the bass line. And then it just goes straight into it and they've already made the song and it's already a hit. I never felt like, I, I understand that we all know who Queen are. And there's never any sense of jeopardy of like, will they will they make it big? But I felt mm -hmm. like the whole thing just felt so lacking in adversity for him to overcome. It was just everything came yeah. very easily. He just instantly joins the band. Instantly they become famous. Instantly they're rich. Inst everything. And it was like, what's the actual story? What is he supposed to be like triumphing over? It's just it's just a collection of things happening with very little consequence or build up. Again, I think it's a case of they, they didn't know what... So one, they didn't know what they wanted the central focus to be because they know that the dramatic story is with Freddie Mercury. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's been, I can't remember the exact quote or point of view, but there's, it's basically stated that Freddie Mercury didn't, if he wanted a film about himself, he wanted it to be light. He didn't want it to be about the darker end of his life. I mean, well, for instance, he only announced that he had AIDS publicly in the week that he died, I believe, or like several days before he died. He wanted his legacy to be about him. Mm -hmm. And so they definitely do that. And that's why it's kind of got this poppy, very colorful glow to everything. And so that's what they're kind of aiming for, like the respectful, again, in air quotes, yeah. as respectful enough to make them loads of money. And at the same time, they know that they need to get in these dramatic bits to try and sell the acting as well as the, to get the awards buzz. Yes. And so hint at the idea of struggle. And they obviously, they do have some dramatic stuff, but it never really hits home because they can't do really dark stuff. Yeah. 
because yeah. that's not really because they can't go into the really dark stuff because that's not really deemed like respectful to what his wishes were mm. so they're kind of stuck again in this halfway place like you said he joins the band instantly he, again they kind of say like we're for the outcasts but they never really showcase why they yeah. didn't they just they're just instantly popular <laughs> like the next scene they're traveling and then it breaks down so they said we're going to record an album today and they go and record the album and then someone just happens to walk by that happens to know someone that puts you in touch with the biggest agent in london mm. like sure if that's actually how their story happened but it's not presented in a way and like look how ridiculously lucky this is it's just because it's so quick and fast what am i meant to be getting out of this mm. the only connection that you have is because you already have a connection to the band yeah. itself as opposed to what is being presented within the film i think if this exact same film if this exact same film was made not about queen like about a fictional band mm -hmm. if this was a fiction yeah. film about a band that were a bit like queen but weren't queen no one would like it yeah no, it, it, well, it'd be like a, like minus all the VFX stuff. It'd be just like a Lifetime movie, wouldn't yes. it? If you have any other points, because I think I'm going to go into a bit of a rant about the end sequence. Okay, my only other point was I find it borderline comical that it's nominated for Best Editing. That's what my point is. Because <laughs> uh, it, it just showcases... I remember you were talking about how... I can't remember which publication it was, but they every year they like print an interview with an Oscar voter. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I get what you mean, yeah. And and there was this one year where, you, where they asked the Oscar voter about Best Editing, and they just said, I don't know what good editing is, I just picked my favourite film. And I guess that's what happened here, because I think anyone with eyes would see that this is it bordered on taken three editing but just for conversations just scenes with people yeah. sat down and it wasn't just that it wasn't just the rapidity of the cuts it was that they were just cutting seemingly for the sake of it yeah the scene that's sort of become a bit of a meme for the editing is that scene where they meet Littlefinger for the first time and it just cuts <laughs> to random reaction shots of people who for no particularly preordained yeah. point it's just like someone's in the middle of saying something we cut to this guy then to this guy then to this guy none of them particularly reacting to anything important there's no logic or rhyme or reason to where the cuts are it's just they got a load of shit and someone insisted they use it all show every yeah. angle regardless of reason yeah. No, that's exactly how I feel. Like, that's honestly... that. Like, I mean, and I know that that scene, besides what I would be talking about, like, that scene is definitely, I'd say, like, the strongest case of that. Yes. And that's a reason why it, like, that's all of the problems condensed into a really, like, <laughs> tweetable clip, basically. <laughs> yeah. That editing style is prevalent throughout in, like, dribs and drabs. Like, not only did the whole scenes feel slapdash but also the editing within the scenes feels like that and so you're kind mm. of left with this weird it feels kind of like fever dream style at points <laughs> you said that you thought it was a good performance i'd only say good performance because the thing is, is i that, didn't think it was amazing no i wouldn't say it's amazing and also if it was so amazing why do they keep cutting away from it every single bloody chance they get like surely it couldn't have been that great if you need to cut to a secondary character every five that's seconds that's the thing if you look at a film that is like made by i don't want to get too snooty but by like a you know like an esteemed filmmaker if you get like inarutu or a Quran or, or one of those people they there's a reason and a purpose behind every shot and yeah. they've clearly like thought out the sequence of shots, what each shot is for, if they cut to something, it's never just for the sake of it. It's There's a distinct reason, and they only edit when there's an actual point to be made with a mm. cut or with a different shot. 
this just felt like they got up on they got there on the day got coverage from as many angles as yeah. possible and then we'll, we'll figure it out later that the, it doesn't feel planned or like there was a proper vision for the scene it was yeah. just eh, 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 we'll make it up and i think that that ultimately culminates in the final scene which is the live aid concert and honestly i know you said that it's weird how you've got all these really quick scenes and then you get to the end and it's just one big bulk of one concert. Yeah. I actually I found that kind of rewarding because I did, the thing is is that I kind of just wanted them to play. I agree. I, I agree with you, but why does it all need to be saved for the end? Couldn't you structure the rest of your film properly? It's like having... It's like Transformers 3 where it saves all of its action right at the end and it's like there's no pacing or just sense of of structure there it's just mm. just bulk just dump a big bulk on See, it yeah. for me i don't i wouldn't compare it to that i'd kind of compare it to it's gonna make it sound like it's a mark of quality when it's not uh <laughs> but i can compare it to kind of like the end of whiplash okay when you go into a, like a film with drumming you want like this massive solo which they wait until like the very end and then in whiplash it's like a tension throughout the film that they kind of, like, unleash at the very end. But they've built to that. They actually built to something. Mm. But it's, like, it's building up to one big final performance, and that's the final performance, and it's got a weight to it because you know that it's, like, you as the viewer, regardless of what's going on in the context of the film, you, the viewer, know that that was the biggest concert that they ever did and that it is regarded as one of the best concerts uh, like of all time. Whiplash uh, ended up winning the Oscar for Best Editing. Like I know a lot of people might argue the idea of Whiplash won most editing, but I'd argue that it also, like, it is a fantastically edited, not only film, but within the film, that sequence is absolutely superbly edited. And if I had the time or the inclination, I would love to compare how, like, the editing of that final scene in Whiplash, the tension and the drama and how it cuts around the room. Like, it doesn't just remain on miles, like, the whole time. It is cutting to close-ups, mid-range, like, wides, and it's cutting, like, back and forth across the room. And it's doing it all to the music in order to build the tension. Purposefully. It's purposefully. And it's building the action. And it's like ramping things up and slowing things down. And it's doing everything in aid of the scene. And then you compare it to this, where I'd say that if it wasn't for that scene at the pub in London, mm. this scene is just that prolonged over 11 minutes. It is just every single shot that they got on the day. I completely detached. Like, I was enjoying the music, but every time they were cutting away to a different reaction shot, I was completely baffled as to why they were doing that shot at that point. Like, they somehow... They, I've never seen like so many pointless crowd reactions in a in a film. And around two minutes into it, I kind of was just thinking, you know what I would have really loved is if he comes up onto the stage, you get that massive wide shot of him on the stage. There's the audience, and then we cut, and then we just see the TV feed, and we just watch the concert as it originally mm -hmm. was from the TV feed. I would prefer that so much more the live footage of like actual Freddie Mercury because then you can actually you know appreciate him yeah and, but then instead what we've got is we've just got this absolutely bloated mess of just this absolute mess of editing there is so many there are so many shots and so little of them are doing anything to make you feel anything within whiplash like i said there's a tempo to it like there's a building and there's a rising and there's the relationship between miles and fletcher and there is the relationship going back and forth within the scene 
and they are using the shots to build that. In this, there is nothing. It is just, this is Queen. Like, there are a bunch of cool shots in there, uh, and there are a bunch of really, really terrible shots in there. It feels so cobbled together. And I know that they talk about the production problems with the directors, but I'd say that ultimately it seems like the biggest production problem was just with the editing, because it's clear that they had no idea what they had or what they needed to get or where they were going with it. And they just, in the end, they just ended up with this massive mess. Again, yeah, I'd just love to see like a comparison of how to show a final climactic scene comparing Whiplash to Bohemian Rhapsody. It got to the point where I guess I was watching it yeah. having already seen that Twitter thing, but it started to make me laugh. Like when yeah. it would just cut to random shots, I would just laugh because it became almost surreal, like absurd. It started to make me think that even the actor didn't know the camera was on them at that yeah. point because they were yeah. so like, what? It's a completely ridiculous film. And if it wasn't for all the stories of the troubles behind the scenes, I would say that they were going for, like, people want to know the story of Queen, so we'll give them literally everything. We'll give them every <laughs> single person's reaction to everything that happened in the story. <laughs> that, that would be my only, like, logical answer for why they did that. Did you imagine cutting this film back when it was on film? Like, not digitally. <laughs> that, is, that would be absolutely a marathon to do i've i just want to i just want to get whoever was giving the editor notes because it mm. again it doesn't feel like a film made by a professional editor it feels like a professional <laughs> producer standing over the shoulder of an editor yeah. but i just kind of want to tell that person just slow down <laughs> i think they were taking the freddie mercury party lifestyle a bit too far they were <laughs> snorting a couple of the wrong powders and they just need to calm down it was like more frenetic than fury road but it was just like talk talking scenes yeah instead of like car shots cars exploding it's just pointless reactions of people staring at the person that's currently talking <laughs> I must say, I, I was a little mystified by... I believe it could have been a good performance, but because every scene is so skimpy, so so just thin and insubstantial, yeah. I, I can't get, like, a, a big actory scene. Yeah. Because all, all I get of Rami Malek is little bursts of him saying things, and I don't get, like, a, a proper scene where he has to act. It's all quotes. Yeah. The only scene that I can kind of think of is, like, the scene in the rain. And, like, that's earned, but that's that feels less because I'm really into the character and more because I really hate the Irish guy. <laughs> like, I just can't stand him, and so I'm like, finally, he's gone. But um, I think it falls into the point that I was talking about before where they struggled with the tone of how to deal with it because I think on one hand, they don't want to go into the nitty-gritty of who he really, like, was and how he ignored his family and, like, his background and things like that and as well as, like, had these kind of darker sides to him. And they <laughs> lean into it very slightly uh, because they don't want to kind of get rid of the sheen of he's an icon. They, they lean into it enough so that they're not... They can't... They can avoid... They can deflect accusations of being a Lifetime movie. Yeah. It felt very much like it was made for a crowd that had been, like, weaned on things like The Greatest Showman. They wanted to make yeah. something for that crowd who wanted to show up and have a good time and yeah. enjoy something yeah. that was fun. I don't want to have a good time. I want to... <laughs> I don't want to get loaded. I want to... I want to, <laughs> I want to dwell on the, on the misery <laughs> and the... And the <laughs> 
sorry to go back to the final concert scene but the thing is, is that so many of the songs that again i knew like the very basic gist of the queen story but so many more of the songs that they talk about give a much more personal touch when you actually know their own story like some of the lyrics like when he was in the final concert and he starts going into bohemian rhapsody i don't i sometimes wish i was never born at all and it gave him much more before listening to that i just kind of think it's a very cool song but now like with the extra context and all of that like i felt like i got more of a sense of he's genuinely saying that to some extent and it's part of his experience and maybe part of the whole he was he's gay he doesn't belong into he just feels like he doesn't belong to the family that he was born in and they could have done so much more with that and giving more like emotional context to these lyrics to these songs that you already know and love but you haven't necessarily thought too deeply about but instead that was just stuff that i took away because i was thinking more about the, i was thinking as opposed to just fully enjoying the experience Mm. Okay, I have a question for you. Obviously, this is going to go out after the Oscars, but if I read you the list of Best Editing nominees, I want you to pick which one you think will win. So, the nominees for Best Editing are Black Klansman, Bohemian Rhapsody, The Favourite, Green Book, and Vice. Uh, I've already said I haven't seen The Favourite. I haven't seen Mm -hmm. Green Book. But I have seen Vice. Oh, um, I haven't. And from seeing Vice and Black Klansman, I'd say it's between those two. I know I kind of laughed about it earlier, but it's a case of not necessarily best editing, but most editing. Vice yeah. definitely had the most editing. I'd probably say Vice is more likely to win it, although I'd say right. that maybe... Um, the, the, the bookies' odds are on Vice, apparently. Yeah. There you go. Well, I think I think Vice is more likely to win it, although I would have said that I'd probably preferred the editing in Black Klansman, even with the stuff on screen that we kind of talked about when we originally mentioned yeah. it. I believe that's like two or three episodes ago where we talked about it. Um, and again, I haven't seen The Favourite, so maybe I would have preferred The Favourite. Uh, how tired are you right now? I'm, I'm not tired. I'm not tired at all. I've, I'm, I'm, I feel awake for the first time in years. <laughs> I could quickly just delve into a tiny bit of vice if you wanted. Uh-huh, yeah. And I could talk about the film. <laughs> um, <laughs> Can you hear the tiredness in my voice? I feel kind of annoyed now because I forgot how enjoyable it is when we've both seen the film so we can actually talk back and forth and remind ourselves of points. But basically, Vice is the latest film from the... Uh, Esteemed auteur behind Step Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> Adam McKay, who uh, his previous film was The Big Short. I, I didn't see it. Well, you know the general gist of The Big Short, and you, I mm-hmm. assume you've probably heard all its praises. Seen every other Adam McKay film. Well, that doesn't help. <laughs> is it how much like Anchorman is it? <laughs> it's more like Anchorman Two: The Legend <laughs> Continues. Is that the name of the I subtitle? So. Yeah, I think so. Um, again, I could give you all the lyrics to Disco Stick if you wanted. I'll remember that, <laughs> but not the names of not the names of Oscar-winning directors. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> enough about Disco Sticks. Um, <laughs> That's the title for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that one. Uh, yeah, so it basically takes all the style of the big short and takes it in a much more kind of abstract and artistic direction, I would say. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily for the better. Big Short it had a lot of praise, uh, myself included, with that, because it took something that was basically a very, not necessarily unexciting, but very hard-to-adapt story and very dense story involving not necessarily cinematic characters 
and it made it very entertaining, not really easily consumable, like you still had mm. to pay attention, but it broke down a lot of points that people would have really struggled with and it made them much more palatable and it made them really enjoyable to watch and at the same time it gave you so much context to something that you had generally no idea of and yet it still massively affected your life. It was basically just a really entertaining film about economics which is kind of wild and this film takes uh, the vice president uh, Dick Cheney who is uh, a disgusting person and the big short kind of works because it's got this very jumpy style and it's cutting between fourth wall breaking asides to the to the people at home. Why do I keep saying that today? <laughs> um, as well as uh, little bits where it explains bits about economics and then cutting between several, like, it's three stories going on at once around this 2007 housing crisis. Vice, on the other hand, is following one character through his life. And so on one hand, it feels it's aiming to be slightly even more scathing than it was of certain people in the big short and at the same time because it's taking this structure it feels somehow even more empathetic to the main characters which is kind of weird because it's just focused because it's on just him. focusing on one character focusing on one story whereas the big short was focusing on three stories and those three stories only one of them had one character the others had two and the other one had three characters so that's six main characters mm. in total um I, I found a lot of things very interesting in it i can't believe mm. they this is how the way that the government worked, how they managed to get this thing through. It was very interesting, but it wasn't necessarily as gripped as I was with the big short, as well as I also found that his style was way more concise and cutting in the big short, whereas in this one, again, like I said, he kind of goes for a more artistic way of his kind of jumbled editing. I'm trying to think of a way to describe his editing from the first one. It, it was closer, in some ways, it was almost closer to like a video essay of sorts, like it was showing you a scene and then it was breaking down here's what you may not have understood and then it does it in a very entertaining way in this case it kind of just it replaces those entertaining breakdowns with cutbacks to previous moments in his life where it feels like it's kind of harkening back to this is what set him up to lead him here which is kind of confusing and also drags the film when you've already seen the scenes like three times already as well as it keeps doing cuts aside to him fishing like metaphors and things yeah, I've, I've seen those. I've seen a clip where it's where it's, he's talking to George Bush, and it keeps cutting to like Fishy. him reeling in a fish. Or yeah, it does that through the entire film. Oh right, okay. That's not <laughs> just that scene. That's the scene where I'd say it's clearest. Mm -hmm. uh, the other scenes, it just keeps happening. I just don't think that it communicated his ideas very well. And I felt like it was the film itself didn't feel rushed, but it just didn't feel developed enough, and it didn't feel as much of a unique voice as the big short did right yeah i mean do you have any questions from that or i feel like i kind of rambled there is christian bale good yeah he's very good i mean it's yeah the, all the performances are really good it's just that um they're very oscary performances um mm -hmm. like they're very very serious very dramatic and at the same time it was one of these things where i found it interesting like i, I thought like oh they're acting very well <laughs> But I'm not. Mm -hmm. I'm not getting into it. I'm like thinking that's good acting. I I get you. I know I've been quite negative, but that's because I felt like The Big Short is a really great example of how to do lots of things that normally wouldn't work very well in a Hollywood film. Mm -hmm. It did it very excellently. Uh, and then this one, I feel like I could have watched a documentary, and I think it would have had the same effect for me. Gotcha. Um, well, I watched. I don't really. I don't really have much to say about First Reformed, other than it was good. So 
Um, I'll just leave it there. That that was a good film. It was well written, a good screenplay. Uh, that was his best attribute. And I think that's the only thing it's nominated for, which is, and I think it should have been nominated for a couple of other things, but of all of them, that is definitely the thing that stands up uh, the most. So if it, you know, if it was only going to be nominated for one thing, then that's the thing it should have been nominated for. Mm. But um, the only issue I had with it was that the ending <sighs> made me question what the point of the whole film was. <laughs> um, it was there's anti-climax and then there's the ending to First Reformed, which so so thoroughly like undermines everything that's come before it that you kind of I was left mm. almost a little angry. Like, oh, why did you end it that way? I've seen it's slightly ambiguous and open to interpretation. And I think if you sort of look into the sort of more metaphorical or, or slightly, if you, if you give it like an abstract reading, there are more interesting ways of looking at it. But just if you, like I did the when I just watched it, just interpret it on, at face value as what you see is what happens. It's very like, huh? Like, I genuinely, I watched it on Amazon, and I genuinely thought that there was a problem, and it had just, like, skipped to the credits. I was so kind of like, oh, what? Okay. Other, yeah. than, other than that ending, which I have slightly come around to, I still don't like it, but I'm not quite as angry about it now, mm. uh, when I've given it a bit more thought. Other than that, everything leading up to it I found compelling and... Is the exact opposite of Bohemian Rhapsody. It's lots of nice, long, well-written scenes that <laughs> you can just enjoy as as good dialogue scenes that have lots of good ideas, lots of great character development, and all of those kind of things. That that it was nice to just watch a film that took its time mm. to to tell its story in a mannered, intelligent way. Yeah, nice. My thing, I think, for the first time I'm doing this, when you're not, is a video game. Ooh. Return to the Obra Dinn. Oh, yeah, you played that. Yeah. yeah. And I just basically wanted to put it in just in case, like, I know people may just listen to this just for films. I know I'll be very, like, quick about it. In case you haven't heard anything about it, like, the idea is that you are... <laughs> it sounds really boring but when I've tried to explain it to people, but you are um, a legal officer, you're a lawyer, and you've been... You're involved in trying to figure out who owns what in the case of a missing ship that has turned up. And basically, you've got to go onto the ship and figure out who owes the tax company what. Mm -hmm. But by doing that, you have a ledger uh, and you just have basic information about the ship. And there are 60 people that were on the ship and they have all died. And you've got to figure out who every single person was, what their rank was and how they died. And it's not just you walking around a ship all the time. You can also, uh, every time you find a corpse, you have a stopwatch. And when you open up the stopwatch uh, next to a corpse, um, it takes you back to, uh, like, it's a black screen. You hear the last, like, 10, 15 seconds, maybe you hear it with subtitles on the screen. Uh, and then it cuts to the moment that that person died, like a freeze frame of that mo and you can walk around the freeze frame uh, of the moment that that person died so for instance the very first one is uh you find a corpse and uh, like the sound file is the guy knocking on a door saying captain let me in and then the door you hear a door open and then a gunshot and then you open up onto a scene and someone dressed clearly as a captain is shooting this guy point blank in the face and so you can not necessarily gauge like you don't know who the person was that was being shot but now you know who the captain was. 
like that kind of thing. And you know that that guy was shot in the face by the captain. And mm-hmm. it's a case of basically, I just want to recommend it because it's. It sounds interesting. There's so little hand holding in this game. It's really very much of once you find all the bodies, and that's literally just, that's not solving everything. Once you find all the bodies on the ship, you can end the game. That's just mm-hmm. it. You could solve 10 out of the 60 and end the game just there if you want. It's literally just down to you solve however much you want to solve. And the more you solve, the more you understand of the mystery. Mm-hmm. And it's just a case of, besides like the stuff that I've told you, it's all just you've got to figure it out yourself. Like There are no hints. There are no really obvious clues. You've just got to try and make mini breakthroughs yourself. And it's right. the most rewarding I've pl- I've had like a single player game in a very long time because I... Uh, I think we've we've talked about this personally, but I haven't on the podcast that I don't really I don't play that many video games anymore. I don't really enjoy them like a single player game because I get like a cup like an hour into it and I feel like I should be doing something else. I feel a bit restless or I feel like I'm wasting my time when I could be doing something mm. like creative or spending time with like family or friends or whatever. And this is the first one where because you can sit down for it for like little bits at a time and chip away at the mystery. Um, this is the first one in a while. I think I ended up playing eleven hours of this, and that was just a complete. Which I know is a lot for you. Yeah, yeah. And that's, yeah, it was just really enjoyable and it was really, really satisfying to like finally get that one person that you've been trying to figure out for ages and then you just suddenly have, what what I mean is like why it's so rewarding is because in other video games they will like tell you this new mechanic, like this new mechanism that Mm. you can do and you use that and it solves a problem that you've been facing. You're like, oh, that's great. But in this one, it's a case of you can suddenly have your own eureka moments. You're like, oh, what if I try try this and that works it's not like the game's trying to keep you interested it's that you're you're trying to figure out the game and it's basically just i suppose it's the closest way i could kind of describe it is like people do those escape rooms but it's like a yeah. virtual thing and there's no time limit on it i i'm not sure how much i'd rec- i'd recommend it to anyone uh, like even people that don't like video games if you really love puzzles or like murder mm-hmm. mysteries i'd say that this is like perfect however i would say that you need to be patient because there were several times where I just wanted to look up clues and I had to force myself to not look up clues and this is what one thing I would say to people is that if you do decide to try it don't you you don't need to look up any clues whatsoever that's why I kind of like about it is that um, once you've discovered all the bodies just lying every single clue is there you've just got to think long enough about it cool really rewarding when it was done my first thing that I thought of was I just want another one like I just kind of want mm. like to keep it's a video game that really made me think and I don't get that in any video games really I kind of mostly do them for an escape so yeah, yeah it, I really definitely cool. want to play it it's I I don't want to say that you sold me on it because I was interested in it before but you've definitely amped up my interest anyway I think if it came to switch it would be so like it, it's like the perfect switch game yeah it's cool that's cool I, I, do, I do want to try it out I'll let you know if I if I get around to it, because um, I do, I do want, I do actually want to play it. Um, but I'm still, I'm still working through The Witcher Three. So it's just, it's just such wow, a... you've been doing that for a while, haven't you? Well, I got the DLCs. I, I have actually finished The Witcher Three, and I did do pretty much every side quest. But then I made the decision for God knows Stupid. what reason to buy all the expansions. Stupid spring I've summer child. <laughs> I've, I've nearly done it. I've nearly done it, but it's just. 
it's it's eaten away all the other video games I could be playing. Mm -hmm. It's like The Witcher Three is like ten video games. Yeah, in one. it seems that way. Yeah, and it is it's reached the point where I kind of resent it. Like I'm not really enjoying it now. I'm just getting it done. I'm yeah, just... no, I know. I've had that feeling so many times. I do. I would say actually, maybe a recommendation for this is that if you have someone that you know that's patient, I'd say is the big thing mm. with this. Um, then I'd say that it could be quite fun to do together. I am. I am known for my patience. <laughs> for my... <laughs> But yeah, I think it could be quite fun to do because I did it on my own. It works very well on its own. But I think the like like an escape room, I think it could work well with two of you if you are like trying to think it through. Mm. Although I think it could that could very well lead to, to too many cooks spoil the broth. Yeah, it's one of those few things where I'm like, it really reminds me. I do like video games. It's just yes. I need to I need to have something that properly engages me as opposed to just placates me. <laughs> that was how I felt playing Resident Evil 2. It was a nice palate cleanser after Red Dead Redemption and you know playing The Witcher and playing all of these epic mammoth games to come to Resident Evil 2, which was a game that I enjoyed every single second of. Yeah. Yeah. And that didn't outstay its welcome. It, it did remind me that I actually like playing these things. I don't just do it as like a checklist to get through. It was nice to play something where I was just exhilarated throughout. Um, yeah, like I, I've enjoyed that one mini. Like it's it's one ship that you walk around, and I've enjoyed that yes. scale of game more than the last AAA game that I played. All the square miles upon square miles of game. Yeah, exactly. I don't need like the world's biggest map. I just need something engaging. That's no, that's why one of the, I know we're kind of going off on a tangent here, but one of my favorite things about Resident Evil Two is that it is not entirely confined to the just the police station building, but it is, I would say, about 70% of it is in this one building. Mm. And it's so rewarding to backtrack along around this place, slowly figure out... It's a bit like an escape room, actually. We made the, It's slowly figuring out how to progress from one room to the other, right. where the interlocking corridors mm. are, where the secret passageways are how to get through this door, what this item does. Oh, if you examine this item, it's got another purpose. And just this compact space that feels much more designed and much more like every single inch of it has something there and a reason to be there. Yeah. As opposed to just endless expanses of nothing. It's so much more rewarding to unlock that kind of environment and to explore that kind of place that you you become familiar with and that you know. As opposed to just we need lots and lots of space because we need to have more space than that other AAA game and mm -hmm. it's just a game of one upmanship. Uh, yeah. It, it's so much better to just have a well-designed environment. It's one of the few things where I find it funny that, like, I'm so... I really don't care about a remake of a film, but I think a remake of a classic video game makes so much more sense to me because mm -hmm. it's because it's got the scale of something that they could only achieve on... It was the PS1, right? Yes. Resident Evil 2. Yeah, so it's the yes. scale of a PS1 game, but with the quality of a PS4 game. And that just sounds great yeah. to me. As in, that's because that's all you need. You just need, because when they had like such limitations on the hardware, it was a case of you had to overcome the limitations and make the most of it, as opposed to you can make an entire state of a country. <laughs> and just procedurally generate yeah, things. Exactly. Yeah. Um, another film that I watched is um, Incident in a Ghost Land. Okay. Yeah. Is that another it's... Oscar film? <laughs> no. It's from Pascal. I'm going to 
actually absolutely butcher his name, Pascal Lugier. He is a French director who made a film called Martyrs. I don't know if you've ever heard me and Ben talk about oh, Martyrs Oh, the remake before. of Martyrs. No, the original Martyrs. Okay. He made the original Martyrs, which is a film that I really like. You like that, yeah. I, I, I only know it from you and Ben gushing about it. It's a very, very polarizing film. It's it's like a f- you either you either think it's like a five star masterpiece or you hate it. And if you look at it's like Rotten Tomatoes score, it is like at fifty percent because it's so right. marmite. It's it's very it's a deeply unpleasant film. Like it's really horrible. Like not in a way that you have something like Fincher, like a Fincher film, which you might think, oh, that's really dark. That is really dark by like mainstream American standards. And then you have something like Martyrs, which really makes like the Fincher stuff look tame. It's a really horrible film, a really dark film, a really violent film. But I think it's quite an intelligent film. And it has a purpose behind all of its misery. And it has a point that it's making. Um, it's it's not everyone's cup of tea, but it, it kind of came out around the time of like the torture porn stuff like Saw and Hostel. And it got lumped in with them because it has a similar-ish setup. But then it, it doesn't subvert the genre as much as it kind of elevates it by giving it giving it uh, something more intelligent and more meaningful. It doesn't, like, flip it on its head. It just sort of tries to inject it with a bit more... With just a, a bit more brain. And I really like it, and I think it's a, a very impactful film that you couldn't imagine it getting made in the constraints of Hollywood mm-hmm. like with the things that happen in it. So I was quite excited for this follow-up. Uh, he has made another film since, but it was kind of a straight-to-DVD slasher that no one cared about. But this is, like, a... You know, his proper follow-up to Oh, was Martyrs his debut? Yes. I think he oh. made some music videos, some French music videos, but um, this is like his proper big follow-up. And it debuted at Fright Fest last year, and uh, it finally landed on Amazon, so I wanted to watch it. It's it's set in America this time. I'm not sure if it is an American production. Uh, it's got an American cast. It's set in America, but it still feels... Can't really imagine an American studio allowing some of the stuff that happens in this film. I didn't like it. <laughs> It wasn't good. It, it's not that it feels like he sold out or lost his edge. It feels more, on the contrary, it feels like he felt a pressure to, to do it again. Right. And this one, where Martyrs felt like it had horrible stuff in it with purpose, this feels like it was just having to live up to Martyrs. And so it was just needlessly grim. Mm. without any of the smarts or the intelligence. It's basically a very standard home invasion film where a mother, a single mother takes her two kids to this house and they are attacked by these like sort of Hills of Izy type people. And um, it then, they survive that night and it then cuts to like 20 years later and it's about them dealing with their sort of trauma, which is very Martyrs. That's sort of the similar thing that happens in Martyrs where it's like them living with the torture porn film after it's happened. And they return to the house to sort of cope, you know, to like, mm. it's like a coping mechanism to sort of like revisit the trauma and try and process it. And stuff starts to happen again. It has a semi-interesting twist halfway through that made me think it was actually going to be more than just um, more than just the generic slasher that it looked like on the surface. And I thought, oh, it's actually getting interesting now and it's actually doing something different. And then it 
almost immediately after it does that twist, it goes, <laughs> and now back into the same shit you've seen a thousand times, right. only much more horrible. And I keep using the word horrible because it's not like, it's not gory. It's not like, it's not particularly violent or gory. It's just depressing, mean-spirited, and just ugly and, mm. and unple- deeply, deeply unpleasant. Like, you just watch, you're just watching, like, little girls get beat up. Right. endlessly and it's like what am i supposed to be feeling here other mm. than just just bad like you've successfully made me feel bad and i get that that's what you're going for but you can yeah. successfully make me feel bad by showing me awful things it's not that's not an achievement particularly mm. you can just anyone can do that and it's just just a relentless procession of misery and beatings and sexual abuse and just just awful awful things without any of the the merit or the the intelligence that made martyrs kind of overcome that you know that that made martyrs worth it this just didn't feel like it was worth enduring all of the horribleness for what was just a generic home invasion film right i was very disappointed I wanted to like it. Also, it was filled with jump scares, which I really didn't expect because Martyrs has like that sort of European art house sensibility about it. So it doesn't feel it's not got the filmmaking style of a horror film. Whereas this was filled with like jump scares and musical stings going like, Dum! and it just felt weird. It felt very like jarring with the sort of tone of the film for it to have this like blumhouse editing and and music to just try and make you go boop. Mm. It's very odd. You've, you've like talked it. about a few horror films in the last year where you've said that, like, you, you've just, as you've turned around, you just said it's mean-spirited. Like, it's just taking it not necessarily too far, but just seems to revel in the mm-hmm. idea that it's doing something awful without actually it's, having anything to say. It's like it's like having like an edgy kid at school who just keeps, like me, <laughs> who keeps saying horrible things just to just shock to get a people. Reaction. Right, okay. Just to get a reaction, yeah. I was just gonna say, like, yeah. What was you? What was your kind of thinking of like why? I, I don't. I don't really know why I'm leading with this. Like the idea of you think that is just these that these films are are just trying to like live up to films that have done it in the past without the same like artistic intent, or do you think that it's more of a thing where you're kind of changing your belief on these kind of films? I don't know because I I would still stand by Martyrs. Like I would st- I would still stand by Martyrs and all the thing that arguably you could say that the stuff that happens in Martyrs is perhaps like more violent and more gory but less ugly and horrible you know it's not happening to kids and it's not got like sexual violence but it's still just as bleak Mm. they're both very bleak nasty films it was just that I felt like there was actually substance behind Martyrs this felt it almost feels cynical. It feels like uh, if we make something controversial, then that's like free marketing when people start writing about it and when right. when people find out how shocking it is. But it's not. There's nothing in it that you haven't really seen before. That's the that's the other thing. Martyrs has some stuff in it that genuinely kind of takes you aback. Whereas this film, there's not. There's no like one scene where I go, that was the part where it was just too much. It's all fairly standard things I've seen before in films but it's just endless and for no reason. Right. And that was what 
made, that was what made me angry and that was what kind of touched the nerve with me was just the there was just a sh- the sheer volume of it and the fact that there was never like a scene where the characters were allowed to be happy there was never a moment of levity just had to be non-stop misery porn from minute one to the end mm. i wanted to like it that's the thing is that, that's why i was talking about martyrdom which was i genuinely wanted to like it Thank you very much for listening. I think it's been mellow, more mellow than usual, and surprisingly, better organised. <laughs> so maybe yeah. I should only be semi-conscious all the time when <laughs> recording these. Um, yeah, thank you very much for listening. We have uh, social media, Twitter, uh, uh, YouTube, very rarely. Yeah, is there anything you want to plug? You have stuff on your own personal Twitter account, you're writing. Yeah, um, sorry, that sound, I should sound more enthused you know, when I'm self-promoting. Uh, yeah, my, my personal Twitter is Harrison Abbott with one T, 13. <laughs> That's where you can find, like, all of my, um, all of, like, my features writing and some of the news stuff that I do. All the stuff that I, where I write for other publications, it all goes up there. That's basically the only reason I have it, so... <laughs> If you want like a, well, that's a glowing if endorsement, to, if ever there was one, yeah. If you want to like a source of my slightly more coherent and planned thoughts on things, that's where you I can mean, go. Obviously, to find I'm them. your friend, but I would say check out uh, you. You specifically write more, I suppose, video game than film stuff now. But be, I guess yeah, I'm not nearly as interested in video games as like you are. Uh, I just like reading stuff from people that are enthusiastic about things. So like, and you get you. you dig into very niche things about video games that I hadn't. <laughs> seen written about but because it's constantly surprised by the things they let me write yeah and because it's niche and because you have like you've got a genuine enjoyment and interest in it it's actually a decent read as opposed to reading you know some article that someone's just thought up because they need to write the next article yeah oh thank you i i appreciate it that was too that was too sincere for us um yeah thank you very much for listening and see you hear you listen i don't know in the next one Bye. Bye. Ooh. (laughs) Good one.